0: Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jude. Now, Jude is one of the smallest books in the Bible. The book of Jude is towards the end of the Bible, right before Revelation. And uh, just go to Revelation and then turn back a page and you'll be in the book of Jude. Don't ask what chapter. There's but one. Book of Jude. Let's join together for prayer. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we just praise You for an opportunity that You've given us to come together and worship. Lord, we praise You for the great goodness that You've given us in Your Holy Word. Lord, we pray that You would blend our hearts together with Your Spirit, that we might understand and know what Your desire is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Book of Jude. uh, When I was little, I, I was... I always loved learning stuff about my grandparents. I remember going to, my grandparents lived in Gastonia, we lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and so uh, my grandparents on my mama's side weren't too difficult to go there. We'd go um, more often to Gastonia than we'd go up to Lenore, where my daddy's from. Uh, it was a little bit longer drive up to Lenore, and and so it was a little bit more difficult. They lived up in the mountains. My grandmother on my mama's side lived in the, in in the city of of Gastonia, so it wasn't uh, that difficult. Uh, my grandmother and granddaddy were very quiet. They were from that era where they just didn't say a whole lot. They their whole their whole sense of spending time together, maybe some of you might still be this way, uh, um, but or you might remember people that were this way, they didn't have to have a conversation to spend quality time together. They simply sat in the same room and was just there. Their love for each other and their love for us was was typified just by simply wanting to be in the same room with us and to share that time with us we could be doing anything or nothing it didn't matter it we just simply were together and it meant a whole lot to to them and to us to just simply spend time together i remember uh my grandparents on my mama's side did not have a big grandfather clock they had what was known as a grandmother clock have you ever seen those just a clock that sat on a mantle uh didn't have the rest of it my my grandparents on my daddy's side had a grandfather clock that had that was over a hundred years old when i was just a little boy and um so it, it was a, a very old clock, and, and I always wanted to have that uh, one or the other, and I, I didn't get either one. Uh just goes to show you uh, what happens. But when you got a big family, you got... Somebody's going to be happy, somebody's going to be sad. But anyway, um, I, I was sad uh, on both counts. I, I, but my mama's got that grandmother's clock, and it's sitting on the shelf at her house. And I always, and back then when I was little, it, uh, my grandmother still wound it, and it still uh, told time, and it still chimed, and it was a beautiful clock, and uh, still is a beautiful clock, just doesn't keep time anymore. But Uh, My grandmother and grandfather had a lot of old pictures. One of the things I loved was looking at old pictures, and I still do to this day of family and other people. It kind of transports you into that time. And, of course, pictures can remind us of a lot of things. One of the pictures that my grandparents were very proud of uh, was a very small picture of my grandfather when he was in his prime and he was a boxer, and he would make extra money after working at the mill as a boxer, and he would, uh, he was, uh, in his fighting pose, and he was, you know, dancing around or something and somebody had taken a picture of him and he was uh, it was like the old timey pictures that they would use for the card whenever there would be two fighters that would uh, were going to take on each other. Um, my grandmother didn't like too much that my grandfather was a boxer so she he later transitioned to being the referee. She said it, it's less likely to get hurt if you're just a referee than if you're the boxer. But one of the things that is inherently important as a boxer whether it's back then or today is first of all you've got to not uh, two two major mistakes that a boxer makes of course i'm not a boxer but uh, my grandfather was and he said two major mistakes every uh, a boxer makes is is first of all to telegraph his punches. The other boxer knows what he's going to do if he telegraphs what he's uh, planning on doing by telegraphing his punch. Easy to defend against, and he can counter uh, those, those punches whenever he's taking them. And the second thing he can uh, that is the major mistake of a boxer is not keeping your hands up. When a boxer gets tired and he lowers his, his hands, that's when he's most vulnerable. And in, in church life, uh, that is uh, one of the major mistakes that Christians make as well. Not, not having to do with telegraphing your punches, because hopefully we're not punching each other in church. But uh, when we put our guard down, when we put our guard down as as a church as a body of believers, we're susceptible to uh to the the blows of Satan we're susceptible to uh, the things that might happen and and in the church we've got to be careful because uh, there's two areas where we're most vulnerable and that is first of all is uh when uh, you have the the attacks of Satan on those who are members uh, that are part of the body. And and the second is, is when the faith of those who are faithful is attacked. So we've got to be faithful to keep our guard up. We've got to be careful when we are simply in our fellowship. We tend to get wrapped up in a lot of different things. And, and church, a lot of times today is is based on, uh, some people base their whole existence in church upon feeling. Well, I feel good. I, we, I, we feel good. We had a good service because I just felt so good. Well, listen, you can't, you don't always, you can't base your your relationship to God on just simply feeling because there are times where I'm sure you don't feel uh, very good in the morning when you get up you feel uh, you just want to take it easy that day don't want to have to tackle the hard problems or the difficult things you can't base your relationship in a marriage on just simply feeling because you go through a lot of days, you're just going on autopilot, right? You, you, uh, in your relationship, you just want to make sure that things aren't going bad. Um, you don't always feel, you know, deeply, madly in love like you were, you know, after being married for a while, you don't have those puppy dog feelings you did when you first became, got into a relationship you you can't feel you can't base your marriage on those feelings because those feelings aren't a gauge on your relationship you've got to uh, and you've got to work on your relationship. Same way with your relationship with God. There are times where you feel as though you're just enraptured in God's love and you're just so eager to study God's Word and you're just eager to, to take time to, to be with God and, you, and everything in life just seems to be getting in the way of spending time alone with God and your, des- and your desire is to do nothing but to get along with God maybe go off on a retreat or go out into the woods and sit in a, a a hunting blind or something just so you can be alone with God or sit out on a you know go out on a boat and carry a pole but don't put the the uh the uh hook in the in the water just simply so you can uh, be left alone and people will be quiet so you can spend time with God. That's understandable. Here, you 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 have those times, but then there are times in your Christian walk that you don't feel very much like a Christian. It's not that you're doing stuff bad or you're you're dealing with sin. You just don't feel as caught up in your in your relationship to God as you usually are. And, and it doesn't mean that you're at, at a distance with God. You just aren't on the, the, the peaks like you had hoped to be all that We can't... Well, there are peaks and there are valleys in your relationship with God. Valleys don't always mean that you're in the midst of sin. Sometimes you're just... You've, you're just not feeling as close to God as you, as you would hope to be. Those are times where the Spirit is calling you back to a, a closer, deeper, uh, more involved relationship with God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you any, uh, any less than, than when, he, when you feel on top of the mountain. It just means that you're not walking as close to God, or you just you just don't feel it as much. We can't base our relationship to God on just purely on feeling. We have to base our relationship to God based on our walk with God. And so Jude here is writing a letter to a. a specific church but uh throughout the years as it was copied and recopied it was uh there's speculation that they left the name of the church out because as it was circulated around they uh they didn't want some to to feel as though it didn't apply to them so they they kind of left the name of the church out but um but jude writes a letter now who is jude Jude is the brother of Jesus, the uh, half-brother of Jesus, the, and he's also uh, the brother of James. And so Jude is, uh, has a, uh, a close relationship with Jesus Christ, and so uh, that's who Jude is. And he's writing this letter because there's a problem in the church. There is a problem with uh, apostasy or antinomialism. And basically what that is, is, apostasy is to say you're a Christian, and, but not to follow along in a Christian lifestyle. There's, there's a lot of examples of this today. People who claim to have a walk with Christ, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe even claim to, to uh, be a person of authority uh, with Christ, but then... They they don't then when they begin to speak about their faith they don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ they don't believe in in a physical death on the cross or the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ and when they begin to outline all those things they're they're whittling away the fact that they really are a Christian and so Jude is dealing with that in. The church there that he's writing. This church has uh, not just members that are uh, that are apostate. They have teachers that are apostate. They're supposed to be people that are leading the church, but they're not. And so we need to look at this because there's some some good words of encouragement here for us today. And we're only going to deal with the first two verses in Jude. It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are uh, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love. Uh, be multiplied, so here 's how we can keep our guard up when we 're uh, in a situation where we feel as though we 're coming up against someone who is claiming to and these apostates are are those who were dealing with antinomial uh, uh, Jude was dealing with these who were caught up in antinomialism and what that means is, is they would profess to be Christians, they would profess to be followers of Christ profess to be uh, uh, children of God and yet they would use that liberty, that, uh, that grace that God had given them you know the grace that Paul talks so much about, the grace that gives us uh, liberty to, to not be under the law of Moses. Uh, these people who are apostate or uh, these antinomialism uh, people. They were people who were taking that grace and going too far. They were saying, well, because I've got the grace of God, I don't have to follow the commandments of God. So that means I can go out and I can do whatever I want to. I don't have to follow the commands of God. I've got grace. I, and that'd be like a Christian today and sa- and saying that they're a Christian, but going out and and doing everything that they could to do uh to sin against god well i can go out and drink all i want to i can go out and and take drugs all i want to i can go out and have uh relations with uh everybody that i see or anybody that i see i can go out and do this and do that and i can steal i can uh do all kinds of stuff and and not worry about any of that because i got grace i've got grace and these these people were teaching these things, and so uh, Jude was trying to help these people to understand they have to keep their guard up against these kind of attacks, attacks against Christians and attacks against their faith and he says he says uh, the standard introduction of himself, Jude, the servant of christ uh, of jesus christ this is this is a typical uh, uh salutation." Uh, to those who are uh, and he says i am uh, the servant of jesus christ he doesn't count himself equal with jesus christ because he realizes who jesus is so he doesn't say hey i'm jude the brother of jesus he says instead i'm jude the brother of james james is known to be the brother uh, the half brother of jesus and so he says i'm the brother of jude so that helps you to understand that Jude is also the brother of Jesus. And he says, um, to those of you who are sanctified by God the Father, and this is an important thing for us to understand. When we become a Christian, we need to... There's, Like I said, there's times where we go through periods of time where we feel saved and we feel as though we're close to God and we're close to Jesus Christ and we feel as though we're going on just such a wonderful... Uh, a peak uh, uh, but then there are those who feel as though they can lose their salvation they lo- uh, when they sin or they do something wrong, and they may do something very wrong. They might uh, go out and have an affair, they might go out and and uh, uh, go to a strip club or they might go out and you name it, whatever it might be, and they feel so torn up about the sin that they've done, that they feel like, well, there's no way that God could forgive me. There's no way that that God still loves me. There's no way that I'm a child of God because I wouldn't have ever done this. Jude says, uh, Jude is addressing this to those who are sanctified by God. uh, And what he's saying is, Those of you who have a relationship with Jesus Christ that that call yourself a Christian, you need to remember first and foremost, you are sanctified by God. There's nothing... And the way I explain this to so many people about sanctification is is this. Sanctification means that God has taken away your sins as if you've never had sins in your life. And sanctified by God is, is... you need to understand something very important when dealing with those feelings of the fact that you might have lost your salvation or that you might have done something and God will never forgive you, those kind of things. Those, those hateful, awful thoughts are from Satan and they're from the pit of hell. You need to remind yourself something. What is, the one, what is, what is it that you could have done to deserve salvation? Nothing. Nothing. You couldn't do any. There's nothing we can do. We can't even go and sacrifice ourselves on a cross ourselves to pay for our own sins. That's not going to pay for your sins. The only payment for your sins is to go to an eternity of hell and that's what we want. Uh, We don't want to have that in our life and God doesn't want that for your life so He sanctifies you. So if there's nothing you can do to deserve salvation and there's nothing you can do that would make God to, to love you and forgive you to earn yourself salvation, then what is it that you can do that you could possibly do that God wouldn't love you? If there's nothing you could do in order to earn your salvation, there's nothing you can do that would cause God to sit there and say, you know, I loved you, but you messed up royally. So I'm not going to love you anymore. No. We've messed up throughout all of our life. There's nothing we can do that would cause us to deserve salvation. So there's nothing we can do once we are saved that would cause God to, not, to stop loving us. So there's no way in which God is going to turn His love or turn His back on us and not love us anymore. Now, that doesn't give us the right to do whatever we want to. And Jude backs that up with the next statement. Not only are we sanctified by God, but we are what? We are purified by Jesus Christ. Now when he says we're purified by jesus christ he's he's talking about the salvation process what do we understand and know about the salvation process well jesus shed his blood on the cross of calvary so that we and we talk about being washed in the blood now we're not we're not like a garment where uh, god takes us when we Uh, come to him for salvation and he balls us up and puts us in a a bowl of Jesus' blood and scrubs us and washes us. That's a metaphor and that's not meant to, uh, we're not meant to think of ourselves as that cloth but we also, but the the example is, is clear. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're made whole by what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And as a result that pure, uh, that blood of Jesus Christ that was applied to us didn't just wash us once it purified us That'd be like if you took off your socks or your uh uh your shirt this afternoon and because you got some mustard on it or something like that at lunch you uh you took that shirt off and you put it in the in the wash machine, and you put it in there and you put in the detergent and you set the machine to running and everything, and it came out clean. And you put it in the dryer and dried it. You took it out of the dryer and you said, "Okay, I won't ever have to wash this shirt again." Wouldn't that be wonderful? It, wouldn't it be great to, to have to uh, take out some smelly socks and wash them once and never have to wash them again? Well, that's what purified here means. We're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and we're never more in need of being washed again. We're never more need to, to have... Um, I like to think of it in this way. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, was it enough to save us? Yeah. It was enough to... What He he paid on the cross of Calvary was enough to save not just me, but you and everybody else in the world. But it wasn't just barely enough. It was enough for all eternity. And so that purification is something that is not just simply enough to to do me when I first get saved, but to do me throughout the rest of my life. Jude, Jude says... Uh, to those of us who are sanctified and purified by Jesus Christ and called. This is the third thing you need to understand about your relationship to Jesus Christ. You're called. You didn't happen upon the secret code in the bottom of a cereal box for the Dakota ring, and all of a sudden you got salvation. You didn't happen to, to work out an equation and all of a sudden, boom, you, you realized what was necessary to get saved. No, you were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, by the grace of God and the purification of Jesus Christ. And it was not something that, that, was, that you just happened to stumble upon. He says, you are called of Jesus Christ. You're called. Your relationship with God is not an accident. It's not something that you just happen to get. You know, uh, years ago, my family was looking to augment our our income and my mom and dad were doing everything they could in a job that they needed to find some other way of making some money and they were approached by some friends and family members that were doing something to raise money, and they were selling all kinds of different stuff. First it was Amway, then it was uh, Eureka Foods, and then it was insurance. But we got in on those things to try and make money. We never did make that much money on it or anything like that because it wasn't designed to make us money it was designed to make somebody else money unfortunately and uh, the only way we got involved in those things is because somebody else in our life a family member a friend was involved in them and we got pulled in we got suckered in you didn't get brought into salvation Your relationship to God, your relationship to Jesus Christ, the fact that you're a Christian is not a mistake. It's not because you happen to know somebody that pulled you in. It's not because you happen to to be born in in South Georgia and grew up in a very religious community. The fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and a relationship with God is because God called you. He pulled you in by the power of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit worked on your heart, and His Spirit called on you and convicted you of your sinfulness. His, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit drew you in. You are called of God. The Bible tells us that we are pursued by God because He loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. And Jude says we are called. We're, it's not a mistake that we're in a relationship with God. It's not simply because we've done anything to deserve it again. It's because God yearned for us to be in a relationship with Him. And so he tells us that that these are important things for us to remember so that when you're going through hardships and problems, when you're going through a struggle, when you're facing some kind of struggle with sin, maybe you you get up in the morning, tomorrow morning, you don't feel like reading your Bible, you don't feel like uh, having a quiet time, or maybe you haven't had a quiet time in in years. Maybe you haven't felt like, having a serious time of of devotion to God every day uh, for your whole Christian walk. That doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It means you've got some getting together to do. You need to to spend time growing closer to God. Uh, But it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian any longer. It doesn't mean that you uh, have never accepted Christ in your heart and life. It just means that you've not been trained and disciplined. And it means that you've got some work to do in your walk with Christ. But it doesn't mean that you're not sanctified of God or called of God or or that you are perfected by your relationship with Jesus Christ. What it means is that you've got to work on your defenses. Now... I'm not a boxer, but I guarantee you, if I worked hard enough and I worked long enough, I could I could probably start boxing some. I could probably get into shape, and I could probably uh, uh, learn some of the moves and maneuvers and and methods of being a boxer and and begin to do better at least than what i am right now i might not be good enough to beat anybody else but i could probably beat myself if i try if i started with against myself now and myself three months from now um every new recruit in the army or the marine corps is not the the soldier that's going to step out on the battlefield they have to be molded and shaped into the marine or the the soldier that they're called to be after they've taken that oath of allegiance to the united states and and put on the uniform they're not even acknowledged in the marine corps Right? They're not even acknowledged as a Marine until after they've completed basic training. They're not even they're not even good enough to be called a Marine until after you they've gone through a period of training and dedication and devotion to learning the skills necessary to be a soldier. And then they're just a buck private at that point. Or maybe not even that. Um they uh they they're just beginning they're not what they're going to be at the end of their career they're just beginning we in our christian walk can't expect ourselves to be the Christian that we're expected to be when we first accept Christ into our heart and life we have to condition ourselves we have to work at our relationship with God we have to to discipline ourselves to be uh, in fighting mode and that's the problem. Many of us in our churches are apathetic to the, the battle that we're engaged in. We're in, uh, Paul says we're in a, a battle with uh, spiritual forces in this world. We're at, at battle with those things that would, would cause us to sin, those <clears throat> spiritual forces that would cause us not to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we need to make sure that we are training and preparing just like a soldier or just like a boxer, like a marathon runner. You don't wake up one morning and decide you're going to be a, a, a to run a marathon and wait till the morning of the marathon to put on your running shoes for the first time. <clears throat> I've never run a marathon. I know that. I know that much. I know you have to start out and you work slowly. You begin uh, one of the when I was in high school there was a guy that that ran faster than anybody else he could run and he he'd run behind you and and He'd say, I'm just drafting behind you. I'm just letting you break the wind. I'm just," And he'd just st- stand back there, and he'd just have a good old time. And then when he'd get on the last leg of the run, he'd say, okay, I'm going to leave you. And he'd whip around you and just run like you were sitting still. It made you feel like the coyote running after the roadrunner. I mean, you'd, you'd sit there, and you'd go slower and slower because of how fast he was going. And... <clears throat> Later on in his senior year, he started running marathons. And he, and, but he didn't start out running marathons the first day. Because, just because he was fast didn't mean that he could run 26 miles without any training, without any discipline, without any preparation, without preparing himself. He had to go through all, as good as he was, as marvelous as he was as a runner, he had to work up to 26 miles. He had run uh, 10, 12 miles, and then he'd put a few more miles on it, then he'd put some more miles on it. Then he'd run, finally get up to the point where he was running 26 miles, but he had to, to work at that. He didn't just do it once. He had to do it several times. He had to do all that he could because he wanted to train well. We can't be apathetic about our walk in Christ. If we want to be faithful as God's people, we've got to be sure that we have prepared ourselves for the battle, that we prepare ourselves for when the onslaught comes, when the attack comes by Satan. We must be prepared. For difficult times, we have to be prepared. It's great to go through good times. It's wonderful to have a great fellowship together, have a good feeling about everything that's going on, have wonderful services on Sunday where we have a good number of people here and everything. But we've got to prepare ourselves for when there's just a few people here, when it feels like we're just being buffeted right and left by the enemy. We've got to prepare ourselves for when we feel uh, distant, separate from God. Times where we feel as though we've done tremendously wrong. or we're depressed or heartbroken because of sin in our life. We've got to to be prepared for those times. One of those things that we do is to be sure that we know that there's answers in God's Word by simply being students of God's Word and constantly applying God's Word to our life. We've got to uh, be readers of God's Word so that we know where to look for answers if we don't know them off the top of our head. We've got to hide God's Word in our hearts so that if we're in the midst, of trouble in the midst of turmoil that we have God's word handy in our hearts so that we're ready for the for the accusations by the devil we're ready by the fire, for the fiery darts that we've got the truth of God's word to shield us and to protect us that we're prepared as Paul says with the full armor of God we've got to be ready we've got to be ready for the battle so i call us to be ready for the battle to have our defenses ready first of all by being sure of our relationship with jesus christ being sure of our walk with god being sure that we've been sanctified by god purified by jesus christ and called by the holy spirit right there you've got the whole trinity working in your life are you sure You have that relationship with Christ. Are you sure that you've been cleansed and purified and called by God? If so, then we need to get ready. If not, you need to to get right with God.